Hi, welcome to the Fast Life with Diabetes podcast. My name is Lucy Fisher. On this podcast, we'll discuss everything related to intermittent fasting and type 1 and type 2 diabetes. We'll share tips and tricks, and we'll reveal some of the challenges that we've all faced as we go through this journey. We'll also have some fascinating guests that will share their stories. Thanks so much for joining. It's going to be a great show. Also, before we get started, I just want to remind you that I am not a doctor. Before beginning an intermittent fasting protocol or making changes to your medication, I highly recommend that you speak to your doctor. Hi everyone, thank you for joining today. Today we have on Sarah Erickel. She is 45 years old and comes to us from Charlottesville, Virginia. Sarah has an interesting story. She is not technically pre-diabetic or type 2 diabetic. However, she did have a high fasting insulin level and she wore a CGM for a period of time and noticed some troubling blood sugars after meals and uh, she was understandably alarmed. She talks quite a bit about her journey of giving up sugar, which she's now been sugar-free for over two years. And we get into her fasting routine, her diet, and just some of her mindset surrounding these things. And it's actually kind of interesting to get her perspective on things. This podcast is obviously meant for people that are concerned with their blood sugars, with insulin resistance, whether you're a type one that is insulin dependent or a type two that's facing insulin resistance and looking to reverse your diabetes. Sarah is on the low end of the spectrum in terms of insulin resistance. So if you're in that same camp and you want to take matters into your own hands and change your lifestyle so that you don't develop prediabetes or type 2 diabetes, this is a great podcast for you to listen to to better understand how your blood sugars work and some of the changes that you can make to your diet, how fasting can help you achieve those goals. It's a really great interview and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Sarah, so nice to see you. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Lucy. It's so good to be here. Uh, Before we dig into your incredible story, I want to hear a little bit about what part of the country you're in, age range, family, work, anything you want to tell me about that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. So I am in Charlottesville, Virginia, and I live with my husband and our two kids who are nine and 11. And um, I'm 45 years old and I homeschool. So that's a little bit about me and where I am. Oh, fantastic. Now, I saw you in a a Facebook group around um, sugar, sugar addiction. Uh, We had Vera Tarman on the podcast. Yeah. uh, And she, for listeners, you can look back in a prior episode. I'll I'll link it up in the show notes about, uh, she wrote a book called Food Junkies and um, her whole premise is, you know, cutting things like sugar out of your life. Um, And I know that's something that's very relevant to you. And Uh, I want to hear a lot about that. I also want to hear about, maybe you can start with what happened with your health. I don't know if that was the impetus to um, cutting out sugar or, yeah, why don't you go ahead and tell me where you want to start and and take it from there? Absolutely. Yeah. So starting from the beginning, um, all of my childhood and early adult life, I was a healthy weight and I didn't have any problems with food. I mean, I could just take it or leave it. And I remember when I met my husband in 2005, he would just be amazed that I could throw a potato in the microwave and call it dinner. 
you know, like it was just, there were better things to do in my mind than spend time eating and preparing and, you know, food. It just, there are better things to do in life. Um, and I did enjoy sweet things and, um, I would eat a dessert or something sweet, but I would never even be tempted to overindulge because I knew it wasn't worth it. And I had a motto that worked beautifully for me. My motto was nothing tastes as good as being thin feels. And that motto really worked for me. Um, I loved looking good. I loved feeling good. And in my opinion, absolutely nothing tasted as good as that felt. Um, and then fast forward to 2018. And there was a popular elimination diet going around that was all the rage Everyone was talking about, you know, the, the skin benefits and the health benefits and the increased energy. And at that point in my life, I had no extra weight to lose. Um, but I was curious about the hype and I decided to try this diet. So I just jumped in and I cut out entire food groups. I cut out um, beans and grains and dairy and of course, sugar. And um, even certain starchy vegetables were limited and then even some fruit was limited. And at first I was thriving on it. I experienced what they were talking about. I experienced um, an increase in energy and productivity and I finished the 30 day program. Well, at the end of the 30 days, you're supposed to reintroduce these items, you know, kind of slowly to see how your body responds to them, kind of identify any food sensitivities. And I remember not being able to reintroduce these foods slowly and individually. And I just reintroduced everything at once. And I was I literally could not stop eating everything that I had missed out on the previous 30 days. And it really, it really scared me to be honest. Um, I'd never experienced this feeling of being out of control around food. It was totally foreign to me and it was very unsettling um, when this happened. So fast forward to the summer of 2019, my family and I, we all went to Melbourne, Australia, where my husband was working for four months and the, my kids were in second grade and kindergarten and we homeschooled and the whole city was our classroom. We just kicked around. It's the most beautiful city. And, um, you know, we went to museums and libraries and it was just such an amazing experience for our whole family. Um, and for me personally, it turned into a four month food tour. So my lack of control around food was just getting worse and worse. I would wake up in the morning every single day and I would say to myself, I am not eating sugar today. And then by noon, we would be stopping you know, for lunch. And then we'd be getting whatever treat we saw, whatever gelato or brownie or whatever. And I just had no control around my food. And you never had this problem prior to this elimination diet? Never. That is I, so interesting. My willpower was powerful before. And it was, but in 2019, when you um, were out of control around around sugar? Were you also out of control around dairy and all these other things? Or was it just sugar? It was just sugar for me. Okay. Yeah. Sugar. And then eventually, as you'll hear in my story became, you know, processed foods kind of came into the mix where I couldn't stop eating a bag of Cheetos or something, but at first it really was sugar. 
Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I'll let you continue. No, no worries. Um, and then I began to get really curious about this and what was happening because it was so foreign to me. And one night, um, I Googled, why can't I stop eating sugar? And up popped Susan Pierce Thompson. And are you familiar with her work? No, I'm not. Okay. She, she's amazing. She specializes in the science of sugar addiction and recovery. And the stuff that she was saying on her video blew me away. Um, I had no idea that sugar and processed food could literally change our brain chemistry. And what, what I was experiencing suddenly made so much sense. And what Susan explains is, is that when we eat excessive amounts of processed food and sugar, um, you know, like I've been doing for the last few months to a year, our brain releases huge amounts of dopamine and it tries to deal with the excessive dopamine by down-regulating our dopamine receptors. And what that means is our dopamine receptors literally thin out. And um, the problem with, with less dopamine receptors is that we need even more sugar to get the same effect. And this is what causes tolerance, which is why I was craving more and more sugar, you know, as time went on. And it's actually very similar to what happens with an alcoholic. They start drinking a normal amount and that amount increases as their tolerance increases and more and more is needed to feel the same effects. So it made so much sense to me. It's like a light went off in my head. And, um, you know, suddenly I understood why I lost my control around food. I was addicted to sugar. And this realization was really eye-opening and empowering for me. Um, just knowing, you know, that it wasn't my fault and that there was a reason for it was, uh, was a huge relief. And going back to what your question about the elimination diet, um, Susan even explains what can happen when we go on these highly restrictive diets, like the one I went on. Um, she explains that the lack of calories can trigger a famine response and have um, really negative effect on the brain, which can lead to eating disorders and binge eating disorder, like in my case. Right. So you're, I can tell you're a very good teacher, by the way. I like, you're very good at explaining things. <laughs> oh my goodness. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and you're good at explaining the, the research that you've looked through. So that's super helpful too. So when you were doing this elimination diet, you were also essentially calorie restricting too. Like you couldn't eat, um, enough of the other foods in order to get you to some higher calorie amount. Is that what ha ended up happening? That is exactly right. I would be okay. out about with the kids, not have the food that I needed on hand. Mm -hmm. And instead of, you know, going to find whatever I could eat, I would just not eat. And at the same time I was working out as hard as I was working out before my program. And so, you know, before the diet. And so I was, I was demanding a lot of energy from my body and not giving it the calories that it needed. Okay. Wow. That elimination diet really reset you in a very bad way, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that is what happened. I you know knowing the science behind it and, and hearing what Susan Pierce Thompson was talking about, I think my addiction started there. And then I think it snowballed from there. And, you know, I'm not a doctor, obviously, but just seeing how addiction played out in my own life 
and reading about how addiction works has been really eye-opening. Um, and I, I believe for me personally, my acute sugar addiction that just came on so fast, I believe that it was kind of a combination, <clears throat> excuse me, of a few factors that kind of created a perfect storm. Um, I think my elimination diet triggered a famine response. And I think that led to overeating of sugar and processed food. And then I think that led to the chemical changes that Susan Pierce Thompson, um, you know, talks about in her book. And then last, I think just my chemical makeup, I mean, I'm sorry, not my chemical makeup, that, that too, maybe, but I think my emotional makeup and who I am, um, contributed to my addiction as well. Uh, I'm a highly sensitive person. I do not tolerate pain well, emotional or physical pain. Uh, my mom actually tells me that when I was younger, if I fell, you know, and scraped my knee or something, I would promptly just take a nap. I would just go to sleep. I could not process, you know, I would just want to just avoid the pain. So I think that aversion to pain really followed me into adulthood. And I, you know, when sugar became something that I was actually addicted to, I started to use it as an emotional crutch as well. So I would use it as a drug. Whenever I felt any emotion that I didn't want to feel, there was sugar, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I think I'm not a doctor, but I think the, you know, for me personally, knowing what I know about addiction, knowing what I know about myself, I think all these things really snowballed together to make my addiction um, bigger and stronger and understanding this and really wrapping my mind around it was hugely helpful for me. So I bought Susan Pierce Thompson's book. It's called Bright Line Eating. And I read it in two days. And she lays out in her book a very strict plan to end acute sugar addiction. Um, it involves writing down what you're going to eat the night before, and then the next day eating only that down to the ounce, like it's weighed and measured. And it broke the cycle that I was in where I couldn't not eat sugar for a day. But it was really time consuming. I mean, you can imagine, right? And yeah, it was hard to do. I couldn't maintain it. So, <clears throat> but I do know that there are certain people that this program is life-saving for and they will do it for life and it's perfect for them. But for me personally, um, I couldn't stay on it for more than two weeks. It was just not sustainable. But the value that I found with Susan Pierce Thompson is that I finally knew what was going on with me. And, you know, that provided a starting point. So around this time is when I started intermittent fasting. So I was introduced um, to fasting by my husband, who a few years prior to this, we were on vacation. We were on a date. It was eight o'clock on a Friday night. And he got a phone call from his primary care provider. And she told him that he was pre-diabetic. And this came as a huge shock to us because my husband, you know, was in his mid to late thirties at the time, super healthy. And we were both, you know, really surprised, but he got to work reversing his high blood sugar. Did he have it in his family at all or super in his family? Yeah. Okay. So he wasn't entire. I mean, probably the timing was shocking to him. The fact that he was in such good shape, but 
there is diabetes in his family. So maybe he no, was right. totally surprised. Okay. No, that's exactly right. And, but we thought, you know, that it was just, he was doing all the right things. And so we thought we were kind of getting around it, but yes, he has diabetes very strongly in his family. Um, but he got to work reversing his high blood sugar and, um, lowering his A1C and he got a continual glucose monitor and he started fasting and he completely reversed his pre-diabetes in a matter of months. And he had had such great results, um, with fasting on his health journey that I wanted to try it. So I started fasting 16, eight. Um, and it was really amazing. You know, I hadn't gotten into my blood sugar journey yet. I really didn't look under the surface to that degree yet. So I wasn't tracking my blood sugar, but I found intermittent fasting helpful for me um, because I could make good food choices for eight hours a day. It was easier to do that than make them all day long, morning to night, you know? But I was still, you know, I was still so addicted to sugar at that point that I would open my eating window at noon with a carb. And what I didn't know then is that my blood sugar would spike and of course crash. And then my cravings would be off the, the charts and it would just be a free for all all day until I closed my eating window. So it was beneficial, but I was still very much addicted um, to sugar. And when you, even after you close your eating window, if you're on the blood sugar roller coaster, even uh -huh. if you, well, you're going to talk about how you had that fast, high fasting insulin at a certain point, but even if you don't have diabetes and you, you know, you're on a, a it's a smaller blood sugar roller coaster than somebody that has diabetes, but you know, it'll make, it makes it harder to fast. You know, you are exactly right. I felt like I was white knuckling. I would close my eating window and then I would white knuckle it until I could eat the next day. And obviously the first thing I'd reach for is something to make my, you know, make me feel better. So it was a, a cyclical thing. So in November of 2019, we flew home from Australia. I was 13 pounds overweight. And as soon as we got home, the pandemic hit. So we got home in November, missing our family who we hadn't seen for four months. And then four months later, the pandemic hit. And it's interesting because the early stages of the pandemic were actually really good for me health-wise. Um, I wasn't driving around town, tempted to go into grocery stores and, you know, drive through drive throughs And I really had the desire to eat well and feed my family well so that we could stay healthy and have, you know, a robust immune system and feel, you know, stay healthy. So I feel like the entire year of 2020 was a big pause button um, for my addiction. But by the summer of 2021, um, life was back to normal and my sugar cravings were back stronger than ever. Uh, my addiction started to take a huge toll on me and the weight gain was the least of my worries. I mean, it just started to really affect every part of my identity. So at this point you were moderating sugar. You hadn't completely stopped, right? I had not stopped. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would go through stages of being like, I'm not going to eat sugar for a week, you know, but nothing, yeah, nothing that stuck. So, um, yeah, so it really hit my identity and 
just not being able to do what I told myself I would do even for a day, you know, I can't even do what I told myself to do for one day. It just took a huge hit on my self-confidence. So by this time, I had also started to develop some symptoms that I recognized as insulin resistance. Um, I had brain fog. I had weight loss resistance. You know, every little thing that I ate stuck to my body. Um, I had ringing in my ears, which is kind of a lesser known symptom of high insulin. I had stray hairs on my chin, which came out of nowhere and can be an unpleasant indicator, very unpleasant indicator of insulin resistance. Um, I had skin tags on my neck that just popped up out of nowhere. And I had extreme fatigue. I mean, I was exhausted and I would wake up at night kicking off the covers, um, and did just, you ever find out if you had like PCOS as well at that point? No, I didn't. But that's an interesting point. Because I think some of those, and I could be wrong, I'm not a doctor, but I think some of those um, side effects that you're mentioning from uh, insulin resistance are also common with PCOS. I'd be curious. You probably, you know, given your diet and the fact that you fast now and all this stuff, you you have probably reversed everything, which I think yeah. you're going to get into your your health markers are all really good right now, but I, I'm yeah. just curious if you also had no, that. You're exactly right because insulin resistance is actually a huge factor in PCOS. I mean, you know, studies show that that is a big contributor is being insulin resistance. So, but yeah, I mean, you'll see at the end of my story that my fasting insulin now is under two. So I've definitely, but, but I'm telling you, if I had not gotten my health on track, that was the road that I was going down. Um, so I just feel so, so grateful that I'm sitting here talking about these, this is being like a past thing and not like a thing that I'm still dealing with. Um, but yeah, I felt really miserable. I had all these symptoms and I just did not feel like myself. And I'm sure that everyone listening is very aware of what insulin resistance is, but just in case I thought I would give a quick explanation um, because it's a super easy concept to understand. And when I understood it, it really empowered me to know what was going on in my body. So when a metabolically healthy person eats a carbohydrate and a protein or a fat at a lesser level, um, it increases the sugar in the blood, which is also known as glucose. And as the glucose levels rise, the pancreas produces a hormone called insulin. And insulin moves glucose into the cells where it's used for energy. And it not only moves glucose into the cells to be used for energy, but it also moves any excess glucose that is not absorbed by the cells and sends it to the liver. And after the excess glucose is cleared from the blood, the pancreas is signaled to stop producing insulin and insulin levels go back down and all is well. And it's a really beautiful process, you know, but it's a delicate system and it can become dysregulated really quickly, which is where insulin resistance comes in. So insulin resistance is when we have um, chronically elevated blood sugar levels. So for example, when we eat a diet that is high in carbs and sugar and the pancreas has to pump out more and more insulin 
to manage the glucose in the blood. And eventually the cells stop responding to insulin. They literally stop absorbing um, blood sugar and they become resistant to insulin signal. And this means that glucose stays high in the bloodstream because it's not being absorbed by the cells. And the pancreas has to pump out more and more insulin to try to get the cells to respond. And this leads to higher and higher levels of glucose in the blood, which inevitably leads to, you know, really scary things like prediabetes and type two diabetes. And then what we were just talking about PCOS and, you know, all these other serious things down the road. So the empowering thing to know about this and these blood sugar related conditions is that they can be reversed, which is why um, fasting can have such a huge impact on blood sugar related issues. When we have extended amounts of time without eating our blood sugar, it isn't spiking, you know, all day long, which means that our cells, they can become more insulin sensitive, you know? That's a great, that's a great explanation. And, uh, I think a lot of people, uh, that listen to this podcast that have prediabetes or type two diabetes may not understand exactly what's going on in their bodies. So thank you as a teacher for explaining some of that. That's very helpful for people that may not quite understand what's going on. People that have had diabetes a long time, they kind of know the drill and they understand Mm -hmm. what's going on, but especially people that are new to this, they might hear that they're pre-diabetic or type two diabetic and not even know what that means or what's happening. So that's great. And maybe tell me how, um, I want to know more about your blood work as this all started when you, cause, cause you had, you know, you just indicated that your fasting insulin is much lower now. What, what happened when you went in for, when did you go in for blood work? What was it? Yeah. So I had not quit sugar at this point. I went in for blood work about six months after I gave up sugar. So these insulin resistance symptoms gave me the impetus that I needed to really and effectively quit sugar. And after that happened, um, about six months later, I went in and I got my blood work done and I was really unnerved by the results. Um, I had a fasting blood sugar of a hundred. I had an A1C of 5.1. I had elevated CRP, which indicates inflammation, as you know, C-reactive protein. Um, and my doctor who's amazing, didn't flag me because she just looked at me as being borderline normal. I looked healthy, you know, and she deals with really sick people. So she didn't say, Sarah, you're pre-diabetic, but I know that the CDC says that the range of a hundred is pre-diabetes. Yeah. I was just looking this up, um, this morning, So, so did you, for just for, because a lot of people aren't familiar with the fasting blood sugar test. So you fast overnight and then go in for your test, right? You do. And then, so I'm just looking this up. If it's hundred to 125, that's prediabetes and 126 Mm -hmm. and above is diabetes. So your A1C, it's interesting because your A1C was in a normal range, but your fasting blood sugar was high. That is interesting. And let me tell you what happened. When I got my fasting, we're, we're jumping so far ahead, but I don't care because this is, so, this is so exciting. When I got my fasting blood sugar down, my A1C went down to 4.8. Yeah. 
That's great. Mm -hmm. My six months after I quit sugar and after I went through a very tedious journey with my blood sugar, which I'll tell you about, I had my CGM on, um, I had some very positive results. Um, so 5.1 does not sound like a big deal, but really it's not optimal. You know what I mean? Like we can get lower. And I feel like when I saw the 5.1 in conjunction with my hundred fasting blood sugar, I knew that that A1C could come down when I got my blood sugar down and that's exactly what happened. So, um, but yeah, so back to my symptoms, I, that they really motivated me to change. This was the impetus that I needed. I could not continue living this way. I wanted to be free. I didn't want to be, um, sick and getting fatter. And, you know, I, I'd read enough to know where this would lead me and it was not a good place. Now, sorry to interrupt you. Do you have, uh, diabetes in your own family or only your husband? I don't have diabetes in my family, but you know, what's okay. interesting. I did the 23 and me genetic, um, whatever you call that. Mm-hmm. And are you familiar with that? The 23 yep. me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of my high risk things, you know, how at the top, they scare you to death with all the things that are going to go wrong in your life. Um, at the top of that type two diabetes is something that I have an increased risk for. So it's not in my family, but it's in my, like something I have the potential to get it, you know? So yeah, that's a good question though. It's not actually in my family. So I decided to quit sugar for good. And I told myself I would never eat it again. I just, I just said, I'm done because I knew that the trying to do it halfway was not going to work for me. And I had to dig really, really deep to do this. And my faith in God played a huge part in my recovery. Every single morning I would wake up, I would commit my day to God. And I would just say, give me the strength to say no to sugar today. And I would write in my journal and I would pray and I would meditate. And I would even read past journal entries of when I was completely addicted to sugar. And it would remind me of how far I'd come. And also it would remind me of where, you know, I didn't want to ever be again, you know? And I also read everything I could get my hands on about health and sugar addiction. And I really treated it like, you know, a job. I just, I needed to internalize how destructive sugar was and how much it was stealing from me and what was at stake if I continued. So, um, the physical detox from sugar took about two weeks. And I know from your, um, podcast that you recently gave up sugar, didn't you? Uh, yeah, it was earlier this year. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, this spring, but the, the physical detox was just brutal. I mean, it's hard. I, yeah, it really is hard. Yes. I agree with you. Gosh, it was so intense. Um, but then slowly after my dopamine receptors healed, I just started to feel normal again. And it's just amazing how quickly our brains can heal. And my cravings evaporated. It, my physical cravings evaporated in two weeks. And I felt like I literally got my life back. And, you know, I realized a couple of things when I was finally able to give up sugar. Um, I realized that sugar addiction 
is way more than just physical cravings. I mean, it's, it's way more than just weight gain or health issues. Sugar addiction stole my joy and my moments. When I was addicted to sugar, I lost all confidence in myself because no matter what, I could not do what I told myself I would do. You know, that takes a hit on your identity. And when I quit sugar, I got all that back and so much more. And another thing that I realized after I gave up sugar is just how good we're supposed to feel. Um, I had been so unhealthy for so long that I forgot what it felt like to feel good, you know? So tell me something when you were, when you were eating sugar, and I know this is part of your story, you were prone to to binging and, and things like that. Like what, how, how addicted are we talking about here? Like, I mean, I, you know, and you're what you, the points you made earlier about how, you know, you just need more and more and more to get that, that satisfied feeling from sugar. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I know that very, very well, but for you, how, how did that look back when you were addicted to, and then obviously you cut it out completely. You don't, you're completely abstinent from sugar at this point. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. At this point I was. So when in my most acute, like, you know, deepest addiction, I feel like, because it was kind of up and down, you know, I would have days where I would be okay, but have some sugar, but sometimes, especially depending on the time of the month, I would be like, you know, eating an ice cream. I will never forget. And this was one of the, one of the darkest times for me. I was, um, driving as I dropped my daughter off at ballet practice. And then I went to Chick-fil-A and I could not decide if I, what flavor I wanted of milkshake, you know? And so I got both thinking, I'm just going to have a little bit of both. I drank both milkshakes sitting in the parking lot and my daughter's ballet practice. And after I finished those milkshakes, I am a 40 something year old woman in this car drinking two milkshakes. And when those milkshakes were empty, my heart was beating out of my chest. Like I cannot explain. And I was like, I'm going to have a stroke sitting here in the car in front of my daughter's ballet practice. I'm going to have a stroke. And those are just moments where you go, you, you kind of look at yourself from the outside, like from above, kind of look down at yourself and you go, who have I become? You know, I don't want to need two milkshakes. I don't want to need one milkshake, you know? So yeah, it was, um, it was pretty intense sometimes, you know? So now I feel just good. So I'd forgotten how good I could feel. And now I wake up in the morning and I wake up with the sun. Like I wake up early with the sun without an alarm clock because I don't need extra sleep to recover from sugar. And I have no regrets and I'm full of energy and I'm full of purpose and I'm ready for the day and I'm ready for life. And I just feel like I have so much gratitude because I have such healthy, you know, my brain is healthy. I'm not affected by the badger, like the, the effects of addiction, the badgering effects of addiction on my brain and my body. So this is when um, I get into, you know, my blood sugar journey after what we talked about, I went and had the 5.1 A1C, the high um, fasting blood sugar. I was really surprised and 
I decided to take my blood sugar in my own hands and do what my husband did. So I got, I took one of his CGMs and I put it on my arm. And for anyone listening, it's not scary. You know, I was very worried that it was going to be a needle going into my arm. It's just a little thread and it's painless and it barely goes under your skin. And I will never forget the first meal that I had with that CGM. It was grilled fish, polenta, and broccoli. And my blood sugar went to 250. Are you serious? I am not kidding you. I'm surprised that your A1C was actually a normal level previously. That's that gets that's very high. It's amazingly high. Wow. Okay. And I I didn't even believe the results. So I actually double checked it with my husband's old-fashioned glucose strips. I double checked it. I actually pricked myself and it was exactly a match. My humble moderately carby meal sent me to 250 and I was full of such dread because I was like, how long has this been going on? Imagine if it went to 250 with this meal, imagine with a milkshake, like, like I just couldn't even believe this had been going on for so long. And after that point, I became obsessed with fine tuning, um, what I was eating. I took copious notes on absolutely everything that I ate and the reaction, um, that my blood sugar had. Let me ask you a follow-up question on that meal with the the polenta. So you went up, you spiked to 250. How long did you see how long it took you to come back down again? It was not, it was not okay with how long it took. I mean, it was, it would come down a little bit and then it would go back up again. And then yeah. well, because certain foods like hit you at multiple points exactly. in time, especially if it's mixed with protein or whatever, like it, the digestion is can make things a little bit interesting, but so it was elevated for a pretty long time before it came back down again. Well, you know, I don't know if it was elevated for a long time, but you know, like a half an hour to an hour. And of course I followed up with my doctor after this. Right. And she said, Sarah, it came down. You're okay. But as we know to, in today's world, normal is not optimal. And I knew that it might, you know, that might not you know, put anything on her radar to be worried about. But for me personally, I don't want to spike to 250 when I eat fish and polenta, you know? Well, I mean, most people that have a functioning pancreas, if they eat something like that, they go to like 160, maybe 170 at the most. 250 is actually very high. Yeah. It's, it, I, I don't know. For me, I, I understand why you were concerned and I definitely, I can completely appreciate why you uh, took that so seriously. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It was very scary, actually. Um, it was it was so scary. I actually called the nurse that night and she said, well, Sarah, maybe it's because you're so worked up about it. Maybe your blood sugar is high because you're so worked up. But I said, I did not. I wasn't worked up until I got the results. And so that doesn't. Yeah. Anyway, the good news is that I was able to figure out that having fiber before a meal blunted my blood sugar spike significantly. So if I have oatmeal with blueberries in the morning without a salad, my blood sugar will go to 140. At least it did when at the time of this, that this was happening, it might be lower now because I feel like I'm metabolically more healthy. But if I had a salad beforehand, it wouldn't go above hundred. So in the mornings, 
I have, I stand in front of my fridge. My breakfast salad is me standing in front of my fridge with the fridge door open and I'm just eating spinach out of the container. And I get my fiber, I get my, you know, my fiber in and then I have my oatmeal and I stay below hundred and it goes back down to my postprandial, my pre-meal, you know, blood sugar levels really quickly. And Do you know who um, Glucose Goddess is? Do you ever see her? Stuff? I read her whole book. I love her. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's why. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That yeah. I, I don't yep. eat naked carbs. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. yeah. She's, she's amazing. Um, so now I just make sure like Glucose Goddess says, I don't, I don't have naked carbs. So I have a fiber and even some protein or fat, maybe ideally before every meal. So now I can have my rice with my chicken and I can have my baked potato with my, you know, my favorite, my absolute favorite thing is a baked potato um, with dinner, as long as I have a big serving of vegetables first. And after eating this way for two weeks, after eating this way for two weeks, my CGM showed a fasting glucose of 70 to 80 and my after meal numbers were under a hundred consistently. So, you know, blood sugar being stable, it just turns out that having it low and stable is incredible. I used to go through my day, um, you know, spiking and you just heard my story, just spiking and crashing. And now my blood sugar is even and my cravings are non-existent. So now my current diet um, is that I try, I really do try to put on a CGM every now and then to remind myself what's happening under the surface and how powerful food is, you know, um, it's easy to forget, um, that when I decide to eat that certain thing, um, what's happening and a CGM helps keep that visible, which is really impactful for my health. And it keeps me on track. So tell me something. So, you know, obviously you're, you're watching what you eat, how the order in which you eat things you've cut out sugar completely. How does, are you still fasting or was that only a tool that you used yes, in the beginning? I okay. am still fasting and I love my fasting protocol. So I fast, um, 24 hours, twice a month. And for me, it provides a great reset. I feel like I appreciate my, my good, wholesome food more. Um, I, I know that's when autophagy kicks in, which is how our body does cell renewal. Um, it, I just feel clear-headed and energetic and productive. And of course, it helps keep me insulin sensitive, um, which is a huge deal. And, you know, beyond the physical effects of fasting, I just feel like fasting... Um, it just gives me so much gratitude. You know, I feel like it zooms in all the things in my life that I'm grateful for, you know, eating food, it takes time and energy and just eliminating that noise allows just for an amazing perspective shift. So just doing 24 hours twice a month is really incredible. And I've, I've learned to fast with my hormones. So I don't know if you've read, have you read fast like a girl? I have not read it, but I know about it. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was pretty transformational um, for me because when I fast, like I'm working with my body instead of against it. So I'm really, I really enjoy 
doing what she recommends. Um, and then my daily, my daily fasting protocol is a little bit different than when I started. I used to do 16, eight, which I loved, but thanks to my CGM, I realized that when I, when I work out fasted, my blood sugar goes higher and stays higher longer than when I work out fed. So now before I go to the gym on my gym mornings, I'll have some protein. It keeps my blood sugar more stable. And then the days when I'm not working out, I'll do 16, eight in addition to my 24 hour, um, fasting protocol. You know, let me ask you something about working out because as a type one, I understand how working out affects your blood sugar and actually different types of workouts affect your blood sugar in different ways. What kind of workouts were you doing where you were going high? Was it something Mm. high intensity? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I noticed it more when I was doing a hit class. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Yes. Hit hit classes will spike your blood sugar. Whereas if you were to go out and your workout was actually like a walk around the block or something, Mm. then blood sugar would actually come down. down. Yeah. Even if you're fasted. So yeah, you're exactly right. A walk would just keep it balanced uh, and steady. And then like even a weightlifting lifting class, unless they add some, some extreme cardio in it would keep it level. But my hit classes specifically, which I love mm-hmm. would send it kind of high. So, but my, so I want to talk about my current diet right now, because I, um, I don't eat sugar. So I cut out sugar effectively and I do not eat sugar. When um, was this that you cut it out completely? What in year? 20, or... In 2021. 2021 completely. Okay. So you're yeah. two years plus at this point, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I cut it out. And once I had my blood sugar journey, I felt like I really got my stuff. You know, I got my health, it, you know, it just was easier. Once I got my blood sugar figured out, it was easier to keep it cut out. Um, but I do have a, I do have a um, kind of a caveat So I consider my most powerful habit that I do in my life is not eating sugar. And I call it my keystone habit, which I'm sure that you've read James Clear's book, um, Atomic Habits, it's incredible. And when my keystone habit is in place, I make healthy choices for myself. I eat well, I exercise, um, I do my spiritual disciplines. I don't self-soothe with sugar. I do self-care instead. so in just in general, I don't eat sugar as a habit, but there is a caveat. Sometimes I choose to have something sweet. And when I was addicted to sugar, I had to have sugar. You know, I had to eat it. But now that I'm not actively physically addicted, um, I have a choice. And sometimes very rarely, I do choose to have something sweet. But I know that if I choose to eat sugar every day, I would be right back where I started before. So I eat sugar very rarely, very rarely. And I never eat it on consecutive days. And I actually have powerful imagery um, that I use to remind myself of how important this keystone habit is. And it just, it's really impactful for me. So I want to share it, but I imagine my sugar addiction as this big hairy beast. And this beast used to torment me night and day. And now she's asleep. She's in a cave asleep. And I imagine that when I decide to eat something sweet, 
I'm throwing a rock hard in her face, like right in her face. And she winces, but she doesn't wake up. Now I imagine if I had multiple sugar events, you know, over a period of a few days, if I chose to eat sugar, you know, three days in a row, I would be hitting her face with rocks one by one. And pretty soon she would start to stir in her sleep and she would open her eyes and she would rise to her full height and she would start to chase me. And I don't want that to happen. I don't ever want to go back to where I was. So I know that if I allow sugar into my life in any other way, other than very rarely and very intentionally, I would be right back where I started. I love that imagery. I'm going to use that for myself too. That's very helpful because I, you know, I cut out sugar. I can't remember. I cut out sugar and artificial sweeteners like diet Cokes and things like that. One was in March, one was in April. I can't remember which one was which, but it's been a long time. But I, like you, I notice, you know, there will be times where I'll go somewhere and there'll be like something sweet and I'll have like a piece of cake or something, which is rare since I started this whole thing. Maybe I've done it three or four times, you know? So it's been, it's been, you know, not very often, but to your point, like the key is don't do it back to back days, because if you do that, you're going to definitely wake up this beast, you know, and that's, um, the thing that is hard though is, and I want to get your opinion on this when you do that kind of thing. And, um, you know, you, you have a piece of cake or whatever you end up having. Do you feel like the next day you're like, I want another piece of cake. Do you feel like you have to kind of start over again a little bit? A hundred, a hundred percent, but it's different. It's a different level of, you know, feeling like you have to start over. Like when I have a piece of cake the next day, yeah, I'm impacted. You know, I don't feel as good, but I had a choice. I made a choice to have that piece of cake. You know, if I have something else the next day, now I'm just going down a path that I told myself I would not go down. You know what I mean? When I say that I eat sugar rarely, I eat sugar really rarely. I'm talking about, I mean, last night we went to some friend's house and we brought this plum pudding, which was inspired by Anna Green Gables, you know, very sentimental. My daughter's reading it. She has this book club for it. And in my mind, I'm like, I should have a piece of this delicious plum pudding that we made homemade. But that, no, because there are lots of things in life that are excuses and reasons to have something sweet. We can't make an exception for every single wonderful thing that's happening in our life, you know? So it's very intentional and very rarely um, because I've done it the other way and made more exceptions and it does not work, you know? So yeah, it does. To answer your question, sorry, it absolutely is harder, but it's you know, it's something that I can just sort of pick myself up and say, I'm not going to feel as good. I'm going to drink more water. It was worth it. I do not beat myself up about it. I made a a choice to eat that thing. And I'm glad that I ate that thing because I didn't eat it alone. I ate it with friends or I ate it with family. And it was a, a special time. And now I'm back to my big, beautiful life. You know, I hydrate and I feel great. And, you know, one piece of something is not going to bring back a physical addiction. You know what I mean? It might be hard for us emotionally to get over it and to be like, oh yeah, I don't actually eat that, you know? 
but physically we're still very much free from sugar. You know? Yeah, and I think your point about not doing it back to back days is very important because yes. if you do it back to back days, you absolutely will re-trigger that addiction. Yes. So um I, I want to leave enough time for you to talk about your book and everything else, but so but I want to just close the loop on the health stuff. So yeah. you've been going to your doctor regularly for tests and everything like that, and everything's been totally normal. You you're still in the normal A1C range, normal yes. fasting, insulin, all that stuff is totally normal still, right? Yes, it is. I am so thankful. And I think, you know, I think it's just a testament to when we advocate for ourselves and we take control of our health, we can make changes, you yeah. know? Absolutely. So tell me about the book that you're you're writing or you've written. Oh, I would love to. So, you know, after going through this harrowing experience with um, sugar addiction, I just really want, I want people to know, number one, they're not alone. I felt like I was alone, you know? Um, yeah. So I just want them to know they're not alone. And the purpose of my book is to empower people to become free from sugar addiction and processed food addiction. And um, I just lay out really clearly what sugar is stealing from us, how it affects our health and our well being, and what is at stake if we allow it to continue. And I also just lay out the practical ways, you know, that I stay motivated on my own recovery. So, yeah, I'm excited about it. It's, it's um, kind of at the end of the second draft phase, and I'm getting ready to send it to agents and, you know, it's a process. So, but I'm excited about it. Oh, yeah. that's great. And I love that you're wanting to help other people and share your journey because I think it normalizes it for everyone. I think okay. it's at this point, people are, I know it's not a DSM five, uh, food addiction, sugar addiction. These are, I don't, maybe food addiction is, but sugar addiction is not in there mm -hmm. yet, but like, mm -hmm. you know, everybody, uh, a lot of people are dealing with this and it can feel very isolating and it's super helpful to hear other people's stories. And the thing with sugar addiction in particular is it often goes hand in hand with prediabetes or diabetes. So Absolutely. most people that I talk to on my podcast that have type two or prediabetes also are suffering with some sort of food addiction. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just reassuring to know that, Hey, you're not alone. A lot of people are going through this too, and you can do it. There is a path forward. Absolutely. There really is. It is not, uh, don't, I just don't want anyone to feel like they can't get out of that pit of addiction. They can. And the good news is when they crawl out of that pit and they see the light of day again, they are going to be stronger and healthier and more powerful and potent in their life for their struggle. So it's like they're going to gain something, you know, I just, it's exciting getting, getting, um, overcoming something like this huge is really powerful. So it is. And, uh, so one thing that you mentioned earlier when you were talking about this is you couldn't, when you were deep into your sugar addiction, you couldn't even trust yourself for one day to stop. Yes. And when you lose trust in yourself, then everything else goes off the rails. It's so important to be able to trust yourself. Listen, as a, as a mother, you know, having your identity in place is a really big deal. You know, like I want my children to have their identity in place. How can I, 
how can I be effective in my life in every role that God has called me to if I can't even get my own identity and my own priorities straight, you know? And yeah, I mean, it really does. It affects, it affects everything. It just, it's crippling. Having an addiction like that is crippling to your identity and your self-confidence. It is. It is. It is. It's a really, really powerful story that you have. And I, I thank you for sharing it. Is there anything else that you wanted to to part with? Is there any other, you know, I can't, by the way, I can't wait to read your book whenever it's, it's oh, ready to be released. You, you have you such a great so story. Yeah. Lucy. No, I mean, I think I covered it all. It's been an honor. I would um, just like to let people know where they can find me. I yes. have um, on Facebook, I have a, a Facebook group and it's called overcoming sugar and processed food addiction, a Christian support group but we welcome all walks of life. It's really a great community. Um, and they can also find me on my website, which is sarah-urkel-grace.com. And Urkel is E-R-K-E-L. All those places will be linked in the show notes so that people Thank can find you. you. And it's been really, really great speaking to you. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It's really powerful. Wow. Thank you so much for having me, Lucy. Sure thing. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, don't forget to rate and review the podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest, please email me at fastlifewithdiabetes at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.